Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale. The following episode contains topics that may be upsetting to some listeners. Audience discretion is advised. Please check the episode description for more detailed content warnings. Today's story is Into the Gaping Maw of Philip Bennett, written by George Plank. Okay, so walk me through this again. How does this game work? It's a really easy concept, Jane. You press down on the Rollimatron to get the die to tell you how many spaces to move. You move to the corresponding space, and if it's blue, you pick up a trivia question. If you answer correctly, you get one free Emerald MacGuffin. If you answer wrong or the space is yellow, you receive a carbuncle. Okay, I think I've got it. Well, hang on now. If you land on a red space, then we have to go into a physical challenge where you have to demonstrate your hand-to-hand capabilities versus a bow and arrow. While you are doing that, your opponents have an opportunity to steal additional pegs from the board, and if they spell out the name of a former Secretary of State, they can go straight to the troposphere. And then they win. Mm, Not quite. If you had the foresight to invest your money in real estate, you can use it to purchase additional troops, and by annexing the other players' rooms, you can collect the everyday devices necessary to slay the Crygorgalon and restore peace to the universe, but only if the judge deems it funny enough. Are you done? Almost. If you have the troops but don't have the name of a Secretary of State handy, you can choose instead to spell out the name of the game, which is... Crygorgalon. It's like you're not even paying attention. That's the Devourer of Galaxies and the scourge of fresh source grocery stores everywhere. The game is called Oxytrifenodextra Oslanumodectacryl's House of Fun. Oh, mail's here. Uh, set up the board while I go get it. Man, Doreen got a lot of responses to her personal ad. Ah, one for me, and one for you. Do you know how to set up the board? Uh, I think so. The instructions are in Urdu. I took four years of it, but I'm a little rusty. Well, perfect! While you read that, I'll read my new story. Uh, actually, I could use a little help- And away we go! Well, fair fairgoers, to the 17th annual Lafucius County Rib-Eating Contest, on stage today we have two gargantuan gods of gluttony. On the left, hailing from our very own Lafucius County, is Ken Sweets. And on the right, our reigning champion, hailing from Big City Millsdale, the boy wonder with a black hole for his stomach, Philip Bennett. Philip looked out over the crowd of people gathering within the event's tent. Lots of sweaty locals and tourists who saw a sign out by the interstate and thought that it might make for a good diversion for a while. Some were lathered head to toe in sunscreen, wearing hats and sunglasses in every form of protection from the sun's rays, while others were starting to look like lobsters straight out of a boiling pot. He had seen many crowds like this over the years, and nothing about them or their slack-jawed expression surprised him anymore. They were just there to see him get messy. He wouldn't. He was just there to eat. Philip glanced over at the folded-out white table that held the ribs that he would soon be consuming. The smell of the slightly overcooked meat mixed with the tangy sweetness of the barbecue sauce wafted heavily on the breeze. Philip's stomach growled in protest that he would have to wait even a minute longer before he could dig in. His competitor, who wore a sticky tag that read, Hello, my name is Ken, 
smirked a little to himself before leaning in Philip's direction. Did you also skip breakfast to get ready for today? No. Philip had, in fact, not skipped breakfast. That morning he had a full pack of turkey bacon, a bag of bagels bought from the day-old section of his grocery store's bakery, and half a dozen eggs. Even then his stomach growled. From the moment his eyes opened in the morning to the moment he could wrestle them closed at night, his stomach would not stop growling. It was different when he was a child, of course. When he was a baby, he would cry because he was tired, because he needed to be changed, because he needed attention, but never because he was hungry. His mother would gently touch the tip of the bottle against his cheek, while other infants' rooting instincts would usually take over and they would down the bottle. Philip showed no interest. If pressed, he would take a sip or two before falling asleep. Despite his seemingly extreme nutritional deficit, Philip grew up happy and healthy, albeit a little taller and thinner than the other kids. At dinner, he would help set up the table, say grace with his family, eat a few pieces of broccoli, and then ask to be excused. His mother, bless her heart, would point out that he had barely even touched his food. His response was always the same. I'm not hungry. And he wasn't. He felt fine. He had just as much energy as the other children his age. His stomach never knew the pangs of hunger or the sounds of borborygmy. Until he turned 12, that is. He can still remember that evening vividly. How the peas and potatoes seemed to leap off the paper plate as his father dropped it down onto the placemat in front of him. Even at such a young age, Philip consciously tried not to waste food. He loved the nights where he could serve himself from a communal bowl or dish. That way he could only take just as much as he needed, but tonight was different. From the moment his mother said amen, his father didn't take his eyes off of him or his plate. The juices from the medium-cooked piece of beef started to run into the potatoes and seep into the plate itself. Philip took his spoon from the right-hand side of his plate and scooped up some peas and shoveled them into his mouth. His father severed some fat and gristle from his own piece of steak and grinded it between his molars never once breaking eye contact with Philip. Though he couldn't tell exactly what was going on, Philip knew what his dad wanted from him. He took another scoop of peas off of his plate, and another, and a scoop of mashed potatoes. May I be excused? No. You're going to finish your plate. I'm not hungry. That's too bad. Honey, Mom intoned, her voice shaking just a little. Maybe he's not hungry. No! He pounded his fist on the wood table, causing the salt and pepper shakers to clatter together. I'm tired of sitting here and watching you work yourself to the bone, cooking for this family, just to watch this ungrateful little SOB throw it away. Now you listen here. You are going to clean that plate, and you are going to look your mother in the eye and say, Thank you, ma'am. That was delicious. And you're not getting up from this table until you do so. Philip opened his mouth. For a moment, he wanted to speak up for himself, but he decided to remain quiet. His mother was looking down absently at her plate. She was chewing on the tips of her fingernails. Every couple seconds, her eyes would move slightly in the direction of her husband and Philip, and every time she would stop just shy of actually looking up. She inhaled sharply and closed her eyes. Philip's eyes went back to his dad, who still had a finger raised as if he was still in the middle of making his point. Seeing that Philip had turned his attention back to him, he raised his eyebrows and pointed down at the plate. The warm river of Anjou was slowly congealing from the lack of activity. Philip picked up the fork and knife and stared his father in the eye. With one hand, he held the piece of meat in place, and with the other, he sawed back and forth until a small piece was rent free from the rest. Philip defiantly continued to stare as his father stared back, his eyes shiny and red, reflecting the area lamps scattered throughout the dining room. This continued for several minutes. 
After three or so bites, Philip was feeling completely full. A small grunt of discomfort escaped his lips. Mom tearlessly wept over her own plate. Dad looked away to nurse a beer that had only about a quarter of its contents left. Despite how full he may have felt, in this moment there was no way to win here. So he pushed on. Cutting and chewing and swallowing and scooping and chewing and swallowing, it moved well beyond sheer discomfort. It felt as if there was a boulder slowly building up inside his gut. Every mouthful was another weight being added to the overall mass of it all. Philip felt as if he was in total agony. He was a little less than halfway through what was on his plate. With the back of his fork, he spread everything out, revealing more of his plate in the middle. Maybe, he thought. I can make it look like I've eaten more than I have, and he'll let me leave, go to my room, lie down for a week. He meekly held the plate and its contents towards his father. Before he could say anything, his father interjected, opening another beer in the process. I know you're not trying to skip out now. I said the whole plate, and I meant it. Philip felt as though his stomach was going to burst. He grumbled under his breath as he took his fork in hand. He speared three peas on the prongs and brought them to his lips. He barely chewed them at all. They just went down, one by one, down his throat. As soon as the third pea cleared his esophagus, there was a loud popping noise, akin to a joint being set back into place following dislocation. For just a moment, it felt as if he was floating. At first, he couldn't place exactly why that was, but it soon came to him. The massive weight that he was feeling in his stomach was suddenly gone. Not only that, but he suddenly had an appetite. He went back to the steak, cutting into it with gusto. He not only cleaned his plate, but he asked for seconds and thirds. Dad smiled, thinking that he had accomplished whatever it was that he was trying to do. Mom weakly smiled back, thinking maybe it was for the best. That night, as Philip lay in bed and stared up at the ceiling, he found it difficult to fall asleep. By all accounts, he was exhausted. His eyes felt like the lead weights his father kept in his tackle box. Try though he might, the rumbling from his stomach would cut through the silence and remind him just how hungry he was. For the first time in his life, he snuck down to the kitchen and had his first midnight snack. When his dad woke up for work the next day, he found Philip lying face first in the crisper and the entire refrigerator almost cleaned out, save for a jar of pickles he had been unable to open. Soon, large swaths of time were spent in discomfort. His school days were spent watching the clock between breakfast and lunch, and then from lunch until he could return home. He had tried to squirrel away some trail mix to abate the hunger, but when the teacher found all the empty wrappers in his desk, she instituted a strict no-snacking policy. Philip tried his best to follow the rules, but the loud growling from his stomach ended up distracting more students than anything else. In the last few minutes before lunch, the growling was almost loud enough to be heard from the next classroom over. The giggling from all the students was not nearly as quiet. So the options quickly developed into being mocked by his fellow students or being sent to the principal's office for sneaking snacks during class time. All through high school, he spent more time in the office than at class. It wasn't long after he graduated that he decided to move away from home. His father didn't say goodbye. Instead, he said something under his breath similar to, maybe we'll finally have some food in the fridge. His mother looked him in the eyes and hugged him tight. She handed him a container with some steamed veggies and smiled. A single tear rolled down her cheek. But she was strong for him. One last time. A new city meant new problems. He stepped off the bus with little more than a high school diploma and an empty container where some veggies used to be. 
He had responded to a couple of job postings and was able to find someone looking for a roommate fairly easily. Keeping a roommate was slightly harder for him, however. At night, his stomach growled so loud that it would keep them up all hours of the day, and it was difficult to explain why he was unable to share any of the food in the fridge. After a while, his apartment entrance resembled a revolving door with people coming and going with a dangerously increasing frequency. As a kid, his parents hadn't been fond of going to doctors. His father compared them to bad mechanics. Even if everything is all right, they will find something wrong and charge you an arm and a leg to fix your arm and leg. But with his newfound freedoms and condition not getting any better, he decided that there was no better time than the present. The doctor looked him up and down and in every orifice. He was measured and weighed, and despite the uptick in his appetite, his frame hadn't changed all that much. He was still very tall and very thin. And by the end of his appointment, the doctor pretty much said the same thing. Mr. Bennett, your BMI is incredibly low. How many meals a day are you eating? Maybe nine or ten? Mm-hmm. And at what point in the meal do you start to feel full? I don't. Maybe try eating larger portions. Your weight-to-height ratio is so low. Maybe spend a bit more time in a buffet or something. In the first few months of living in Millsdale, Philip had been kicked out of no less than five all-you-can-eat buffets. The people at Gigi's Pizza assured him that they had no limit. But around minute 22 and slice number 45, he was getting dirty looks from the staff. In actuality, finding and affording food was getting incredibly difficult. His fridge was stocked with food that grocery stores deemed unsellable and were dangerously close to their expiration date. That didn't matter so much, as they wouldn't last much longer than two days at a maximum. And despite what even the largest chain restaurants say, their appetizers had a bottom, eventually. As fate would have it, he had just exhausted an all-you-can-eat restaurant's newly established two-hour limit and was walking around the city streets. His stomach growled like a caged wild animal. He wasn't ready to head home quite yet. He just got a new roommate, and bills were due the next day or two. He was walking past the open door of a pizzeria when he heard the excited cheers of a crowd of people chanting, Go! 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 Philip peeked his head to see a large, bald, portly man trying to stuff his face with a pretty large pizza. The man's face was red, and in between bites he was taking large gulps of water. What's going on over there? Dave is going for the Papa Paisano pizza challenge. Basically, if you eat it within an hour, you get your face on the wall and a free t-shirt. How much does it cost? Well, if you beat the challenge, it's free. And time! The crowd awed in audible disappointment. But for David here, it's going to cost him 50 bucks. Philip eyed the pizza in front of David. Didn't look like it was even half finished. He walked over to the podium near the front door and had a word with the hostess. She told him to have a seat and that it would take about 40 minutes to cook all the way through. He was just lucky that no one else was ordering food right now. He sat down in a booth and waited. His stomach rumbled loudly. The sound caught the attention of a man over at the bar. I think we got another one, boys! A crowd started to gather around Philip, some saying he was going to regret this one, others offering encouragement and helpful tips. You're going to want to be quick. The longer it sits, the greasier it gets. Soon you won't even be able to pick it up. All eyes were on the twin servers as they carried out the unwieldy pan with a diameter of three feet. Thirty-six inches across of dough and cheese and sauce and meat. Philip patiently waited for the man with the stopwatch to say, Go. And with that he was off. Slice after slice disappeared into his mouth. The grease didn't even have time to set into the crust because within a matter of minutes the pan was completely clean. 
The cheering crowd stared in slack-jawed fascination. Someone had to prod at the man with the stopwatch to remind him to stop the timer. From then, it became a whirlwind tour of all the food challenge spots in the county. Sandwiches seven feet long, gone in an instant. Hot wings classified as a deadly weapon disappeared completely, save for the bones. He had just tucked away a burger with a five-pound patty when he felt a slight tap on his shoulder. Philip, right? Uh, yeah. Steve. I've seen your name and face on the walls all over town. Have you thought about going pro? And here we were. Guest of honor at the Effucius County Fair. He had been bussed from fair to festival and events all over the county. Sometimes it was pies, or burgers, or hot dogs. But it was always the same. People want to see him eat, and he never gets to eat as much as he would have liked. On your mark, get set, eat! The two of them started to chow down. Ken hurriedly took large chunks out of each of the ribs. Those that watched Philip said it looked like he placed a full rib in his mouth and removed a stripped bone. Rib after rib, plate after plate. Halfway through the timer, Philip began to feel a strange sensation in his stomach. It was a feeling unlike anything he had felt since he was 12. It was so unfamiliar that he kept eating all the way until he heard another large popping sound. The spectators who saw him place the ribs into his mouth no longer started to see the bones come back out. Ribs were being bitten in half straight through the bone. The alarm went off, and Philip was declared the winner, but he kept eating. Ken stood up and walked over to where Philip sat and stretched out his hand. Good match. Philip bit clean through his hand. The audience gasped as they all looked on in horror at the exposed tissue and blood coming from Ken's hand, then arm, then shoulder. Ken didn't scream. He didn't have time to. Philip's jaw opened wider and wider with each bite, and with each bite he cleaved more of his former opponent into his mouth. He stood alone on the stage and his stomach rumbled. He looked out over the audience, who were too shocked to even move. He jumped into the middle of them, and they soon got the memo. Two tourists were swallowed, then the entire livestock pavilion, and the Ferris wheel they had set up, as well as all the attendees that were on it at the time. People fled to their cars, some of which were also eaten. At one point, someone had called the cops. When they finally arrived 20 minutes later, they arrested Philip three miles down the road, eating the on-ramp to the interstate. It took a tranquilizer used to subdue grizzly bears to finally bring him down, but they muzzled him and he stood trial. He was unable to stand in court himself as no one was able to hear the lawyers over the sound of his growling stomach. And now he waits in a holding cell, unsure of his fate. He is fed 24 hours a day, intravenously. He isn't allowed to go free, and they couldn't possibly give him the death penalty. They shudder in terror, just imagining what he would want for his final meal. All right, how's it looking? Are you almost done? It's been about 16 minutes and 30 seconds. I, I think I've got it. This piece goes here, right? And the Bach Tower over here? No, no, no. Come on, Jane. You're supposed to build the Jorna bricks from the top of the stack down. And poor Max and his violet glowing nose should be much further down the board. Uh, okay, fine. You know what? This is way too complicated. It gets easier once you start playing. Why don't we just play Go Fish? I'd love to, Jane, but, uh... I don't have a deck of cards. Ugh. Uncommon Commons is a podcast 
It is written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale, and the theme song is composed by Charles Adam Robinson. Our logo is designed by Sam Vitale. Our social media manager is Rebecca Tewksbury. Email us directly at zeronullstreet at gmail.com. Visit our socials or support us on Patreon in the link tree listed in the description below. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Stay. And remember, nothing is real. <laughs>